It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome on and all to another huge edition of reliving the war the series where we go through the monday night wars between wwf and wcw and do exactly what it says in the tin relive it we go month by month my name is nimses or joined by my tag team partner as always simon tackler and simon we are right in the midst of 1997 things have been heating up and it definitely is uh how do we put it we, we can sort of see why this is the golden era of wrestling, can't we? Well, we can overall, but if we're talking specifically about this show, there's nothing golden about this show. <laughs> really? Well, this is an interesting one. It's, well, it's always good because we like to get the third man in as per usual when it comes to our WCW pay-per-views. It almost seems fitting because he joined us for the first time last year for Road Wild 1996. So making his glorious Road Wild debut... The one and only Owen Jones. Owen, welcome back, brother. Hello, my friends. Um, Nims, I feel like it's going to be two to one um, our way and not your way. Look, I liked some of it, but just, <laughs> this was a struggle to get through um, in time. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back. Uh, I think I'm five-time return guest, and I feel like by the way we're going, I think I might just rock up for all WCW shows. (laughs) (laughs) Not my decision to make. Um, As always, guests, I feel like everyone, it's everyone's favourite game show on this, uh, on this podcast. I, when this show happened on the 9th of August, 1997, it was one month away from my second, from my second birthday. (laughs) So, we're approaching the terrible twos, which will continue (laughs) on for 24 more years. So, <laughs> so you don't know an era what it's like not to be without Hollywood Hogan at this point in time. <laughs> More or less, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, look, let's get straight into it because this does sound like it's going to be a very polarizing episode, which I quite enjoy. But yeah, uh, WCW Road Wild 1997. It is back at Sturgis. It's not called Hogwild because obviously Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson uh, of America might have something to say about the trademark there, but Roadwild 1997, it's back at Sturgis again. I found the video intro was probably one of WCW's better ones. It's In the last couple of months, this one actually looks like uh, it's it's set in a nice little sort of theme and it looks like someone actually put effort into it. Simon, we've seen the last couple and has the year 10 media department that is making these intro videos, have they graduated a little bit? Look, it was better, but it was still very, very short. And it would have been better if it didn't have, because it was Road Wild, you know, the the motorbike theme. Every time they transitioned to another shot, it had a screwing sound. Oh, yeah. Every time it was was zoom, zoom. (laughs) That scared the hell out of me the first time it happened. So, yeah, points off for the screwing sound. Owen, what did you think? 
my first note is this is actually a really good hype reel. Yeah. I was very impressed. Yeah, I think they got the year 12s to do it instead of the year 10s <laughs> this time. <laughs> the VCE, it was the VCE kids, um, it was their final exam. I will uh, say, though, <laughs> the bar has been set too high by the WWE in this era. The SummerSlam intro that we reviewed on the last episode is underrated and might be in my top five now. After watching it again, having not seen it in like 20 years, WCW is going to have to step up their game. I reckon that's probably why you and I are sort of a little bit more impressed at this one, Owen, because we're so used to the crud that they put out as a <laughs> as an intro that it's just like, oh my god, the NWO's crumbling and Luke is a champion. It's just kind of like this sounds fantastic. It was really short and sharp. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, and this is a very niche um, reference only to myself. Mm. Um, when I was a kid, my mum would tape the Power Rangers off, like off Channel Seven, onto mm-hmm. a VHS tape. And when I used to watch them back, like obviously there'd be times where she couldn't cut the ads out, and there'd be like obviously like late nineties Channel Seven. It was like a it the the intro for this this um, Road Wild reminded me of like a late nineties Home and Away ad. It was <laughs> yeah, very short. Cuts. It yeah. was really short and sharp, but it explained the entire storyline in thirty seconds. I'm like. I'm 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 up to date because I'm not like Simon who watches the the nitros in between. I'm completely caught <laughs> up to date, so I'm I'm ready to go. Um, I did I did like how this year instead of stating there was 150 thousand fans at the um at the wrestling, there was 20 thousand fans at the wrestling, <laughs> A which more modest act- amount. Now, now, because they keep popping on that there's three again. I'm doing, you know, I'm the stats guy. Um, they keep popping on that there's three hundred thousand people at Sturgis every year, and now if we put that into a percentage out of the twenty thousand people that at the wrestling, that's only six point six percent of people who went to Sturgis went to the wrestling show. But if you look at the real stats, only six and a half thousand people went to that wrestling show. So that's probably about two and a half percent of people who attended Sturgis went to the wrestling. Ah, oh, that's not great when you put it that way. Especially since they were, sales. Well, they, <laughs> no. weren't, they weren't any ticket sales. Yeah, it was free. <laughs> in, in, there you go. In no the same way. No wonder WCW crumbled. Exactly. This is the opposite of the WWE Saudi shows. They go there strictly <laughs> for money. WCW went to Sturgis strictly to lose money. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, the only the, reason was because Eric blood- Bischoff likes bikes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, the the blood money is different when when with the with the the, the blood we have to be a blood brother at a blocky event. You know, you cut each other's hands and shake hands. <laughs> that's the blood money at WCW shows. And look, as is as is the theme with all WCW pay views, we get the fantastic wardrobe from the commentary <laughs> team. And all I can say is. Uh, Dusty Rhodes is rocking some form of denim sort of ensemble. Tony Schiavone is in a denim vest. And it, it's what is Bobby the Brain Heenan wearing? It's like a weird sort of <laughs> a, uh, leather, even, a leather tuxedo type thing. Yeah, minus the bow tie. It's just an odd, odd little uh, ensemble there. What did, about did Tony know- Schiavone's fake tattoo on his arm? L- literally what I was about to say. He looked like the nerd that went to like a dress-up party as a bikey with his weird hat, with his baseball cap and his like his brand new, like not even cut-off denim jacket and then the weird scorpion tattoo on his forearm. What's funny too, I double-checked because I remember we spoke about his fake tattoo at Hogwild 96. Uh, in 96, it was an eagle. And yeah, this year, I think it was like a scorpion type thing. So he's keeping it fresh, not trying to reckon, be legit, but yeah. 
I reckon as the tattooed people of the trio, Simon, you and I should get all of Tony Schiavone's <laughs> fake tattoos yeah. as real tattoos. The Schiavone collection. <laughs> we'll yeah. each get one. One for 96, one for 97. <laughs> The Shivani, uh, the Shivani, um, um, tattoo Sh- tributes. The Shivani yeah. Army, yes. <laughs> and just uh, as a, a quiet plug, there you can also jump onto the Grey Wolf uh, Wrestling page and check out uh, Ned and I's interview with Tony Shivani. It was a very fun chat, and he's quite a good bloke too. Just and his voice has not changed, obviously, if you've watched AEW. So it's very weird hearing the voice of Monday Nitro talk did to you. you a- did you ask him if the tattoos hurt? <laughs> Oh, uh, that part didn't come up, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but he did. But uh, he's a he's a surprisingly hilarious man. But uh, we'll we'll move on to our first match here. It is vicious and delicious versus Harlem Heat. And my first note is, I don't remember Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton being a tag team. <laughs> I honestly um, but- don't either. But great team name, vicious and delicious. It's perfect. Uh, it's one of one of the greatest tag team names of all time. I really like the license plate. Match graphics, yeah, that part was pretty cool. Like they've really got all cool. in with the with the road sort of uh, aspect of it. But like I've written down here, don't remember Buff and Scott Norton being a tag team. And during Harlem Heat's entrance, I appreciate them focusing on the one black biker in the crowd. Like <laughs> yes. you notice how the camera, <laughs> just the one African American biker in the crowd, and he was that dancing was what- to Harlem Heat's music. <laughs> that was the one guy they could find who was in Harlem Heat. That was, I was say, that's one of my first notes this match. Surge is South Dakota's favorite tag team, Harlem Heat. <laughs> well, this is what's weird because did you notice there was actually a Harlem Heat chant in, yeah. this, uh, in this match? Harlem was it telling, very, or was it telling clearly the favorite here? <laughs> well, but the, what was weird about it is that Harlem Heat were the faces in this match, I thought, but then it almost felt like because of the reaction they got the year before. They kind of got cold feet. So even though Harlem Heat should be the faces because the NWO are bad guys, Scott Norton and Buff wrestle this tag match as the faces. They have mm. the hope spots. They get the hot tags. It was like they couldn't commit to Harlem Heat being the faces because they were at Sturgis. And the match felt a little bit off because you're like, who am I meant to like here? That's how mm. I saw it. And and I guess that little, obviously, we're- you know, we'll jump forward to this and then we'll jump back. But like I guess that little turn at the end, like with the whole with the help from the manager, kind of like plays into what you just said. Yeah, where it was like, oh no, no, but we'll make sure Harlem Heat are the bad guys by the end. It was very confusing. I do want to yeah. say though, the match starts off with um Buff Dagwell and Booker T wrestling, and they do some good wrestling. They've got good chemistry, mm. pretty technical for the time, like that main event style, like chain catches catch can wrestling. And the crowd's into it. But I want to say to you, Owen, having seen them wrestle here, would you think that these two wrestling are the reason that WCW sank in the WWE? Vince McMahon saw Buff Bagwell and Booker T wrestle on Raw and said, no, we're not doing WCW. Did you think, like, it wasn't that bad? It's really shocking because, like, I mean, if you look at Buff Bagwell now, he's just a sack of depression. (laughs) But, like... Yeah, he like he was a phenomenal worker, and as well, like I mean, I'm a Matt, Booker T's probably in like my top ten favorite wrestlers of all time, and like he's like, yeah, it's, it's so weird how you know they, they kind of put the to quote Dusty Rhodes who said this phrase six times in the pay per view to to, say, to have that put the stake in the in, into the heart of uh, WCW mm. on the on WWF was very interesting. Um, well, I've got go on. 
No, I was going to change subject, so we'll keep going. <laughs> oh. Well, I was just going to say, like, and this match is a very good showcase on why people love Buff Bagwell back in the day. Like, he was seriously considered one of the big dudes. Like, he was... He he was the he was always in the mid card, but he was always a main eventer. If that makes sense, yeah, like he was a he was a perfect mixture of um of like of I guess sports and like wrestling and entertainment, like mm. really like really solid like you know solid upper mid card worker, but obviously had the gimmick that kept progressing, um that made him a very very entertaining wrestler. Well, you know what's kind of sad too about that? He was really entertaining and a good wrestler. When him and Booker had that match in WWF in 2001, he was only 31 years old. Mm. He was like barely in his prime or approaching it. And everyone thought if he ever goes to WWE, he's a sure bet to be a main eventer. He's got the look, the promos, everything, the gimmick. And Vince McMahon saw him and Booker wrestle, and he was like, nah, we'll get rid of him. He, like- he was, like, and you, because I remember when when Chris Benoit and the Radicals jumped to w, uh, to WWF, it was just like, they do not fit the mold. Like, they, re- like, and you remember back in the day, someone, when that did happen, it was almost like, you know, oil and water. You were just like, how would they fit? And they fit pretty damn well. Yeah. Uh, because, like, you could argue, you could argue that, oh, they were misused, but, Look at the Radicals in their first year. Eddie Guerrero becomes a champion and becomes Latino Heat. Chris Benoit already gets world title shots. Um, Dean Malenko has a very underrated run with the light heavyweight championship and fe- and a great feud with Scotty Tuhotti. Perry Satin, even though he has to run around with a mop, still probably gets, like, more people remember him from the mop than his time in WCW. Like, that's pretty, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah, and Paul so, Buff oh, never got his well. shot. Yeah, you had Buff Bagwell has one match where he's literally doing the exact same thing that he's done in WCW. And Mitch is like, yeah, not for me, thanks. Yeah. Also, <laughs> one note I made about this. So you, we were all saying that we don't remember Buff and Scott Norton being a team. Here's the thing, though. Buff Bagwell has a thing for dudes named Scott. Scotty Riggs was his tag team partner. Mm-hmm. Scott Norton was his tag team partner. Then, spoiler alert, like a year later, Scott Steiner would be his tag team partner. If you are Scott, Buff Bagwell is your man. Like, that's it. I also I also think Vicious and Delicious, you really, really should have had him and Sid Vicious team up so you can oh, actually yeah. have... Because his entire... Because Buff's entire thing was like... He even says it in his entrance music, I'm simply delicious. <laughs> well, if his name was Scott, it would have happened. Yeah, exactly. But uh, um, as Owen touched on briefly, uh, this is also Jacqueline's first appearance with Harlem Heat. It's not mm. her first WCW appearance, but it's her first um Because last show, team. Yeah. she was with um, Kevin Sullivan yeah, last show. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, cool. I don't remember um, I her with that... Harlem Heat at all, to be no. honest. Yeah, it's a strange one, that. But um, uh, I've, I've just gotten written down. Uh, there is so much wrong with the ending, though. It's a harmless open-up, but um, there's no rope break. Stevie Ray even goes and hooks the wrong leg but and before he sort of realises, like, oh, wait a minute, that's right, I know what the finish is. So that part was a little bit sloppy, but all in all, I just figured this was, a, like, you'd, for the crowd, this match did what it had to. <laughs> um, um, I have... My, uh, my 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 two main notes of this match just quickly is um, the return of the terrifying raised ring from last. I think it was my first note from last year as well. That like raised ring really scares the crap out of me. <laughs> well, at, at least this year nobody did what um 
what Rey Mysterio did and jumped from the top rope down both levels onto the ground. Yeah, because the ring is on a raised platform so the Sturgis crowd could see it. It's a cool setup. It makes sense so everyone can see. But yeah, nobody was going to risk doing the big dive here. And also, um, my new body goal is to have a power gut like Scott Norton's. <laughs> <laughs> like, that thing was just all muscle. The old muscle gut is one of my favorite looks in pro wrestling, and it needs to make a big return. <laughs> yeah, so Vicious and Delicious, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I had to go home with the loss, giving the NWO their first uh, one in the L column for that night. Uh, we then cross over to a WCW.com, sorry, WCWWrestling.com sort of segment. Uh, he's there with Ted DiBiase, who's now managing the Steiners. Once again, this guy, even with the roar of motorcycles, seems to be the loudest typer on the planet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can I just say, no one is that good at touch typing. Like, not in 1997 either. No, like he was literally looking to his right, not even looking at the keyboard, and just like, no one's that good. At, obviously, he's like pantomiming, but no one's that good at touch typing ever. He was just mashing the keys. That's how you <laughs> transcribe a Scott Steiner promo. Just <laughs> what's what was brilliant. It wasn't about even Scott Steiner. It was Ted DiBiase. Oh, that's right. He was talking for them. Well, he's like Scott yeah. said this. Just the, but the best part about the entire thing is how how seriously Ted DiBiase is <laughs> taking those questions. Yeah. Like he's sitting there, like, well, the thing about the Steiners is I quite I quite enjoy them because they they like and he's like fully he's like doing a, a full on like sit down with James Lipton. That's the effort <laughs> of his. Uh, that's the, the effort. His answers, even here. though the question was probably like from a 12 year old, What does Scott <laughs> eat for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are Scott and Rick really brothers? <laughs> um, can I just say something really quick before we move on? Because I thought I thought this was really important. Seeing as there's no real women's division anymore in WCW since we lost like the title got um made defunct a couple weeks back. Um, did you notice how much the commentators were putting Jacqueline over? Mm. Mm, like yeah. they were really putting over going oh she's you know she's so powerful she's so brilliant she's a great addition to Harlem Heat this this and that like as soon as she came onto the screen like they were putting her over massively and really really hyped her up and I really thought that was obviously important because there was no women's division anymore they always did with Jacqueline she's like one of the most respected women in wrestling even in this era across both companies WCW and WWE they would always say how great she was which is kind of cool Mm. It really was. And it's funny too, because like, obviously when she went to the WWF, like she was part of PMS and, uh, and later on, like probably didn't get as much of the limelight as she probably should have. Cause she was very much lost in the subtle, lost in the shuffle compared to Sable and even Tori of all people. So, but uh, we'll move on to the next match, which is Conan versus Rey Mysterio. Now Conan has recently joined the NWO here and in all of the years of watching wrestling, have you ever heard of Rey Mysterio's nickname being Flying Fury? <laughs> On the number <laughs> plates, the number yeah. plates had their nicknames. It says K-Dog versus Flying Fury. I was like, no one's ever called Rey that. Ever. No one has ever in the history of <laughs> Rey Mysterio Jr. ever referred to as Flying Fury. <laughs> it's strange. Absolutely strange. But uh, this was a... An- a decent clash of styles. Uh, Conan really falling into the power role here and actually using a bit of psychology of working on Ray's legs. And I reckon I actually write down here, um, Conan, probably his best match on a WCW pay-per-view. And before I get your thoughts, boys, did anyone else notice, like, was there like a Vubu Zeller in the crowd or something as well? <laughs> it was cross. That was annoying. 
quite a bit of honking in this one. I will say, you said this was Conan's best match in WCW. That is a very low bar. I hate this match so much. I, I'm convinced we thought Conan was better when we were kids. He's always 100%. a guy that I remembered being like, he was pretty good in the ring too. He was, know? yeah. Bit of that luchador style. My God, every match we've watched of his is so boring. The note it's I had, fire. he wrestles like a guy who thinks he's wearing a mask but isn't. In that when you look at Conan's face, never has expression. He's like just staring at nothing <laughs> because he thinks no one can see his face. Like, we can see your face, Conan. Do some acting, but yeah, terrible. And then I wrote the note, this, if anyone can get a good match out of Conan, it's Ray. And then Ray has to sell his knee the whole time. And it's just Conan doing a Boston crab for 10 minutes. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've watched a little bit of Conan stuff from like Mexico and stuff. He, he works smaller guys a lot better than he works people his own size, um, which is kind of weird, which obviously, which is usually the opposite for people. Of his size, um, but I really this match wasn't too bad. It's definitely the wrong crowd to do a psychology match in front of, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All especially that, when, true. especially when you're expecting to see Rey Mysterio do Rey Mysterio things. But that in itself, I thought, sort of added to um, the match in the sense that you know, Conan the Dastly Hill, he's joined the NWO and he's depriving the crowd of Rey Mysterio doing flippy stuff. He's destroying poor Ray's because it does look like George Costanza is beating up a child <laughs> in this entire match. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there there is a little uh, fight back by Ray towards uh, the end. Um, but it's it's actually a pretty cool little ending sequence. I thought where Ray taps out to the sunrise, does mm. the stretcher job as well. And going back to what you said though, Simon, Conan was always one of the highlights of Nitro back when I was a kid, and. As an adult, I'm wondering why. <laughs> you know, you know what? We don't have the right scale to rate Conan. Conan is all promo in this era. If we were yeah. watching Nitro and hearing his promos, we'd be like, "Man, Conan's so cool." But we're yeah. only watching Conan matches. <laughs> we yeah, are watching, I, you know, the the worst part. Oh, and I need to bring up. So there's a Conan promo that always sticks with me, and this is during the ill-fated 2000 era of Nitro, and you can always tell that. Anytime you see a blue ring mat with the Nitro logo on it, you know you're up <laughs> for some weird gold. But um, th there is, I think, I think um, Conan cuts a promo as part of the Filthy Animals on Disco Inferno, where he said, where he challenged him. He's in the ring waiting for him to make his entrance, and Disco Inferno is part of the Boogie Knights, which is him teaming up with uh, Alex Wright. And Conan says to him, "Like when you're finished in the back with Richard Gere and his gerbils, come out here and fight me." And it's just like. <laughs> Do you remember that promo song? Yeah. It's it's, it's Conan, just like so... As an adult, some of Conan's promos, you think, how did this get on TV? He used to reference like, hey, you know, when he was a face like in the Wolfpack, he would say, blah, blah, you know, let's say he's talking about Disco Inferno. You know, I'm going to beat you and then I'm going to make you toss my salad. As a kid, I yeah. was like, what does tossing salad mean? Is that a threat? Yeah. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, Damn, they let him say that on night. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. At, at, on prime time at 8 p.m. on TNT, he's talking about tossing salads. And as a kid, you sit there going, this, he's going to make him disco. So you have to cook him, uh, <laughs> cook him a salad for lunch. <laughs> uh, look, this is something that's also going to be, uh, like I sort of said, um, Conan got the win there. Um, something that's also a constant throughout this paper is the Sturgis fluff pieces. 
These are a little bit like the uh, crown jewels slash Saudi propaganda pieces, just with more bikers and possibly the same amount of bloodshed. <laughs> can I um can I just say a, a couple of things real quick? And it's no, it's it's related to, but not really about the, the past match. Um, Tony Schiavone, um, the commentary in that match was just really interesting. Um, Tony Schiavone was back to his stating in the obvious. Um, like classic state of the obvious best when Conan was grabbing at Ray's mask, he goes, I think he's going to unmask Ray probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then this is going to be something I touch on a lot in, in, in this show. Mike, to, and again, I'm, I'm tired. I'm siding with Simon on this one. Mike today just tries to be really wordy with re- saying really, really simple things. Um, when Ray went to pin, he did try to do like a backside or something for Conan. And today just goes, he's trying some kind of pinning predicament. Say so he's he doing a says, backslide. He's just doing it. He's just saying dumb things to sound more intelligent. But my favorite thing was, um, was when uh, Tony Schiavone goes, when he was talking, you know, really pumping up, like Ray was trying to go to the comeback. And he, he said, like, where the WCW, where the big boys play. And Schiavone goes, we're not talking this, we're not, talk, we're not talking big boy size wise, we're talking the size of their heart. I know, I crossed that too. I was like, you don't have to put that qualified, just whatever. It's, just say the catch. It's, like, it's, it's like, like, are you just trying, he's just a big old softie, isn't he, Mr. Schiavone? <laughs> Yeah. All Tony's trying to do is just, you know, quantify like, because as you might see, these guys aren't the biggest of boys out there, but this yeah. is where they play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's like, look, they, they're really in touch with their emotional side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a great place to do it in Sturgis at a biker rally. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the next part. One of our favorites of uh, any WCW pay view, the Mean Gene Hotline plug. Awful, awful fake tattoo from Gino. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, fact, I, thought that was, I thought that was real, man. Yeah, I thought if someone's getting a real one out of that announced team, it's me and Gene. <laughs> that tattoo looked like those ones that you get in Chopper Chops back in the early 90s. That's how bad that that, that tattoo looked. But, I'm um, surprised look- Gene's only tattoo. Like, I'm just surprised Gene didn't get a real tattoo, which was a WCW hotline number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, how much, and how much of a cut he gets each call. See, he probably didn't want to spend that much time in the chair with the disclaimer at the bottom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, there, now there was talk about uh, he's he's going and selling that there is a uh, new managers coming to WCW now. Simon, you're normally pretty good when it comes to putting some context around these things. Do you know who he's talking about in terms of new managers? Yeah, because I was trying to time- work it out. I couldn't figure it out because DiBiase is already the Steiner's manager by here. That's kind of the only ah. Oh. Actually, no, no, that's a lot later on. I was going to say, say Rick Rude, Rude but that yeah, is not even on WWE yet. Yeah. 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 So it's it's a strange little one too, because that's the first thing that popped in my mind before the timeline's like, oh, wait a minute. No, that doesn't make sense. That ain't right. Um, look, uh, nice little hotline plug there. It is what it is. And then we get to our next match, which is Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael versus Jeff Jarrett and Dean Malenko. And all I can say is Dean Malenko looks absolutely thrilled to be partnering Jeff Jarrett in this match. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of a fun contrast team. I actually like this match a lot better than the last one because it was more fun. It was like these two um, odd couple teams. Obviously, mm. Mongo and Benoit are opposites too. Like, Mongo is all personality just the same way that the other team is. I thought this was kind of good. Mongo also, what a breath of fresh air compared to Conan. Conan has no facial expressions. Mongo is a cartoon character. Like, he's hilarious. <laughs> 
Everything he does yeah. is over the top. It's good. It's way over the top. He's talking to the camera, everything <laughs> yeah. like that. Another thing, so the couple of notes that I've put down here is Malenko definitely doing the heavy lifting here. Uh, an easy way to talk about quality in this match is if it's Benoit and Malenko in the ring, it's good. If not, it's bad. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> and the thing that really stood out to me is like how massive is in size-wise of a human being did Chris, Be- Chris Benoit become in when he was in WWE compared to what he is now? Yeah. He had some Big assistance way. there, yeah. <laughs> I guess. But it's it's two different people, isn't it? Like, look at w- look at Chris Benoit at, say, Backlash 04 compared to Chris Benoit here. It's like someone has added a lot of water to get that guy it's much It's so bigger. gradual, you don't notice it. Even with Eddie Guerrero, like, by the time he passed away in 2005, we just got used to, oh, that's Eddie. That's just what he looks like. But it's mm. jarring when you look at him from the uh, mm. yeah, like ninety-seven. You're like, oh my god, you know. Um, did you? I, I really just want to. I really want to draw attention to the entrances and Dusty Rhodes becoming completely tongue-tied when they panned the camera to that biker lady. Oh yeah, <laughs> he just went completely gaga and just lost his tongue, and it was the funniest thing I've seen on a wrestling broadcast. <laughs> What's funny about it, all the women that they cut to, like every time they do it throughout the show, the announcers lose it. Like, they'll lose their train of thought. They'll be like, the most important world title match. Oh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's funny, all of these women, you look back at it now, they almost all just look like Jill from Home Improvement. Like they just <laughs> look like someone's mum, and they yeah. lose <laughs> And, yeah. and and what's what's great about it because because Tony Schiavone can be like like it'll be like you know and this is the match for like you know Lex Luger won the title oh my <laughs> <laughs> that because um, re- that re- that really ruined me I was just like that's so because even he- like Heenan tried to like cover me he's like I can't do it <laughs> but I'm um, just going back to the match here uh, like so the another part of um. Dusty Rhodes commentary that I absolutely love is he keeps referring to Jeff Jarrett as a home wrecker because he's there with uh, Deborah and Michael. But um, Jeff Jarrett, he's clearly like in Memphis heel mode here because he's playing up to the crowd and one of the biggest pops. And we've often said this, Simon. Sometimes, like you know, you need that um, the what's what's the word the pomp and circumstance to sort of to sort of. Uh, get you by compared to the work rate because when Jeff Jarrett comes in to face Mongo, the crowd loses their minds. Mm. It is a huge pop because they kind of played with who's the face and who's the heel here because it was almost like a mixed team of Malenko and Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is genius. He's begging for the hot tag. He gets the hot tag. It's a massive pop. And then it's a little bit confusing for the first few seconds. But what Jeff Jarrett is doing because he's scared of Mongo he pins himself. He gives Mongo a jawbreaker and then pulls Mongo onto him to eliminate him because it's an elimination match. Who cares? That's it, logic. And he walks off. Amazing. It is honestly, I think it's one of my favorite spots I've seen in wrestling. Pretty great. Yeah. Like, I've never seen, it's like we're talking about the show, like it just happened this year, like in 2021. But it's, I've never seen anything like that. Like, it's one of the coolest things I've seen. And it's such a coward, it's such a coward mm. thing to do. But it's so creative. And like, who, I mean, whoever thought of that spot, like, you know, like out the buck when they were playing the match, is just a goddamn genius. Because that is one of the great, coolest things I've seen um, in wrestling to like extend a storyline. 
Yeah. I, I loved it so much. Um, there was one spot that happened in, in like a wrestling sense. It was between Benoit and Malenko. And Benoit did it to Malenko. Um, Malenko went to do like a wheelbarrow slam. And then um, Benoit reversed it into an arm drag. When he put him up for the, like the wheelbarrow, Benoit came through with the arm drag. And that was super cool as well. This match was surprisingly great. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It really, really was good. And then we got it like after Jeff Jarrett gets eliminated, poor Dean Malenko. Gets the crap beat out of him. Yeah, they he's both, taken to the woodshed. They both tombstone <laughs> Dean Malenko. Like, you were finished when that happens. I, I do want to say one thing about the ending, though. Mongo gets the pin on Dean Malenko, but did you guys notice when he hits his tombstone, he, because it's an elimination match and it's still on one, Mongo was about to pin Dean Malenko with one finger, and then mm. he changes his mind and hooks the leg and pins him properly. <laughs> I think in that second, maybe Malenko said to me, you are, you are not doing that to me because yeah, <laughs> it looks like Mongo thinks twice about it. Um, I really... So I was gonna say, so, sorry, I was really going to say, Mongo rips a really good tombstone. Like, he, he really put some juice on that and that looked really good. Well, this is what I was just about to say, Owen. Who would have thought in this day and age, like in this time frame... That uh, out of Steve McMichael and Owen Hart, Mongo would do the safer tombstone pile driver. <laughs> wow. I know. Back to back with tombstones. Like yeah. if if someone had said to you, like, like, wow. you know, who do you who do you want to take who do you want to do a tombstone for? Owen or Mongo? It's like, what, you mean the guy that's like struggling to get out of the room? I'll go with <laughs> Owen, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, look, it, this like I said, this was a, a quite a, a thoroughly enjoyable match. It was very much, I think it was, it's it sort of summed up pretty well in the commentary because I would say like, you know, Malenko was in a wrestling match and Jeff Jarrett wasn't. It's kind of got a little subtext to it because Jeff Jarrett really was there to sports entertain and Malenko and the rest were there. Well, I don't know about Mongo, but he was there, <laughs> um, but they all played that part pretty well. Although... Tony Schiavone did say we've seen Mongo become a complete focused pro wrestler. So you know there was there was three pro wrestlers in that ring. <laughs> uh, there, there was uh, by the very loosest definition of it. But um, we then get yet another Sturgis fluff piece. Uh, DDP and the Steiners uh, come in on bikes. This was one of my favorite little bits where they always always have the split second where they don't have any helmets because obviously they didn't ride all the way from where they lived to come in. Uh, we're just like, they put the, you know, it's like, oh, they rode all the way in from Sturgis. Like, did they? Or did you just find an open stretch of road, put the helmets on them for about 10 seconds and then loop the footage? With 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 the epilepsy-inducing um, editing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange little one there, but uh, a, a common <laughs> a common little one that you'd be seeing throughout the, the road wild history. Uh, we get to our next match, which is Chris Jericho versus Alex Wright, the German. Um, Jericho's WCW theme. Uh, first off, it's good that oh, it's so good. we're we're into the point where they stopped dubbing "Break the Walls Down" into WCW pay-per-views because is it later on where they start doing that, Simon? Yeah, they do it later when he gets the um, knockoff Pearl Jam music. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to his '90s sitcom theme. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I love this. Like literally, like my first, like my first note is all caps writing. I love this Jericho music. This Jericho music is so good. And it's very Chris Jericho. It's very like '80s glam kind of mm. 
but it, it's very like a dock in style. But oh my god, it's so good. I love this music so much. Also, <laughs> Lion Lionheart Chris Jericho, more like Hard Eyes Chris Jericho. I love this era. <laughs> He's I love a this very, picture. very good looking man. Both He's of these guys man. are. If you want to talk about a crowd that, like, hey, a Sturgis type crowd might. <laughs> Might like it's two guys this blonde and this white. I'll tell you that. Can <laughs> I just pretty. say, Alex Wright's dancing. I forgot how funny it is. Like him coming out and dancing, I was like, yeah, it's the best. I love. He's Alex the dad Wright. dancer with, with the with with the Euro beat in the background too. It's fantastic. <laughs> the music's uh, great and the lime green speedo. It's oh, just complete. Yeah. The um the thing yeah, it's almost like he went to a, he like googled how to be a pro wrestler on Yahoo <laughs> and then found the gear at like highspots.com. <laughs> he's almost the perfect looking wrestler though yeah. it's he's too perfect as a wrestler he's built it this is the only thing though i looked it up because i thought how is alex Wright the cruiserweight champion he was billed at 6'4 225 their limit at the time was 220 how is he the cruiserweight champion <laughs> Maybe, yeah. ma- ma- maybe, maybe, like this show was actually in Japan because the Japanese cruiser weights two twenty five. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. Sturgis is actually Tokyo. <laughs> Sturgis <laughs> rules. <laughs> so, so now this is a rather different style of cruiserweight match. Um, Jericho is a bit less of the white meat babyface here, but but Alex Wright is still the heel, and it's the best way I sort of like could describe this match is it's like a main event style match with two people that are considered cruiserweights because they're not doing too much flippy stuff yeah there's like you know your atomic drops and things like that the atomic drop on the ropes the nut shot gets such a huge pop from the sturgis crowd as well it's just like bravo guys this is one of us one of us this is what we absolutely love but um and another note that i've put down here is this match also seems to fall into the wcw nwo revenge sort of each one taunts to sort of build their special meter up (laughs) but um can i can i just i thought it was pretty good yeah can i just ask you guys something was it one now i don't want to be crass or anything but we're at one stage was the crowd calling Alex Wright a bundle of sticks? They were chanting the F word. Mm. I made I thought so. That. <laughs> mm-hmm. What made it more awkward just watching it in 2021 was Chris Jericho then egging the crowd on to keep chanting. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. That's I bad. mean, look, I'm not surprised by 2021 Chris Jericho. So I was about to say, that seems like something that he would also do on an episode of Dynamite before someone very quickly, maybe a referee runs up to him and says, well, maybe we shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but it's definitely a thing he would do in Sturgis. So Yeah. It's like well, Ixnay uh, on the agate face. But like, yeah, it, it's definitely something that I feel like Jericho probably to this day would continue to do. But uh, hey, look. <laughs> That's actually one of my notes. Who would have thought that 2020 Chris Jericho would go back to Sturgis, the super spreader event? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, back to, but, back to where it all but, started. Back to where it all started. But so, look, a good note. A good note about current day Chris Jericho. I find it still really cool that he does that springboard drop kick off the corner. Like it's still, it's one of my favorite Jericho mm. movies. He does like yeah. the springboard like off the second rope and hits them off like the top rope onto the outside. He still does it now. He still does it really well. It's really cool. It's a Jericho drop kick. It's good. And to it's be fair, awesome. 
this match was pretty good. And I liked it. Jericho even did the lion salt. And this was the first time they called it the lion salt. The lion salt, yeah. Because really? at one point- Even yeah, though Mike Tanae did his best bit to sort of go, no, it's, a, it's an acai moon salt here. Yeah, one of them <laughs> said that. And then the other was like, oh, no, he actually calls it the lion salt. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, fine, Jesus. <laughs> I think the crowd's chanting at what I think about you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> <I like it. laughs> But yeah, look, um, it was a, perf- a perfectly serviceable match here. Yeah, and then it ends in a roll-up, though. I thought the ending brought it down because like a few Chris Jericho matches we've seen from this era, they're really good and they're well-wrestled, but then they kind of just end kind of flat. And it just mm, ended yeah. with a roll-up. And it was like, oh, okay, well, Jericho the, loses. The roll-up, roll which once again plays into what I said before, Mike, today, just using too many words. He goes, the longer legs of Alex Wright That's made right. him able to propel himself over for the roll-up. Oh, it's like, he go. just got the roll-up, dude. Like, just he got the roll-up. Um, can I just really quickly touch on the fact that Dusty Rhodes got halfway through a sentence about the match, then started talking about the main event. <laughs> like, he was literally commentating the match and then just starts talking about Lex Luger. I loved it. It was the coolest thing ever. He also said that the NWO becomes has become the most powerful force in the universe, which means the NWO is more powerful than gravity. That's it. I can say that. It, it did keep a lot of talent <laughs> down. We'll put it that way. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, so possibly uh, it was a little bit more popular than gravity. <laughs> like Scott Norton and his power cut. <laughs> but yeah, so Alex Wright gets the win thanks to his longer legs, uh, as put by Mike today. But um, we then get a couple more shots of Sturgis. Look, you've seen it all. Um, and this is something, Simon, that we noticed in the last WWE pay-per-view. The mayor of uh, Sturgis is there as well. Yep, the mayor of Sturgis just hanging out in the crowd. This is becoming a tit-for-tat with WWE and WCW. They're just trying to be like, well, we've got the mayor. Well, we've got this man too. Like well, they're- got the governor. We've got, yeah, yeah. We've got a shot of Sturgis. We've got a shot of Canada. Like, yeah. yeah. The, the mayor of Sturgis, who looks like he, he, he'll he go and play a round of golf on a Sunday, then go pay, bake a pie with his wife. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a lovely man and shouldn't be surrounded by hicks. The, uh, the, the the mayor of Sturgis looks like the sort of guy that would yell at ruffians who's nicked his <laughs> pie that's put cool. He's, he's like left the pie out on the windowsill. It's like, oh, damn it, Blanche, they've taken the pie again. <laughs> Yeah, and they're riding down the, they're riding yeah, down the street yeah, on their Harley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's your your little uh, fluff piece of Sturgis. Then we get to our next match. It's another NWO versus WCW match. It is six versus Ric Flair. And um, there's a, we talk about how they focus on ladies in the crowd. There's a lady with an NWO logo spray painted on her chest. That uh, if you thought that Dusty Rhodes and the commentary team got distracted previously with camera shots, they, they almost like had an aneurysm when they saw this one. <laughs> the cameraman didn't know where to point the camera because he didn't yeah. know whether, whether she was going to lift the shirt. He was like, <laughs> and like, <Yeah>. so- <laughs> <laughs> there was also, I don't know if it was the same match, but they cut to the crowd. There was a woman in an NWO t shirt. She turned around and on her butt, like on her jeans, were the autographs of autographs, the NWO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was some <laughs> crazy. Hey, the ladies love the NWO. Can Did I you just... find it? Oh, go on. No, you go, you go names, because I was going to change subject yet again. Oh. So- <laughs> well, did you happen to find it very, uh, you know, helpful from Tony Schiavone explaining that when the revving of bikes happens, it means the bikers respect you? <laughs> 
Because he knows hardened biker Tony Schiavone with his tattoo. He knows biker. And it was just so funny because, like, obviously, like they're they're revving it up. It's just like it's like when 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 the bikers rev their bikes, it means they respect you. It's just like that's we get it, we get it. And and every time they kept revving their bikes, is like great response here from the Sturgis crowd. It's like yes, we know we can hear the bikes. Yeah, Yeah, because he kept getting louder and louder whenever (laughs) the, the bikes got revved. Um, but can I just say, I think this was my match of the night. Ooh, yeah, I'll, really? I'll happily I'll happily go with that one because it's kind of a good old dog versus young up and comer here sort of match. Yeah, so six was twenty five years old Jeez. in this match, so he was would have been what? That's maybe like twenty four years younger than Flair, maybe twenty. But like he was definitely like about twenty years younger than Flair would have been. Yeah. Um, I actually went full philosophical on this one. Do you reckon if Waltman was this age, like like if six was in like that age? In 2021, I reckon he would be one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. He'd be Kenny Omega or Seth Rollins or Adam 100%. Mole. The, you know what the other weird thing is too? He's bigger than them too. At the time, mm. he was considered small. He's not. <laughs> He's, you know, six foot. Mm. He's 200 pounds or whatever. But he was like, this awesome. Was, in his this was like a... Sorry, go. Oh, I was just going to say, like, in his prime, when you watch a match like this... A few years later, when you hear the crap on the internet about X Puck hate and oh, did you know people hate him and blah blah blah, he was awesome. Like he was one of the best in the world for like ten years. Like we should also point out too, like he was that popular. He had his own faction, X Factor. Like exactly. <laughs> and I know every, it, it's probably very fresh on the internet to sort of go, oh, he was in X Factor, but X Factor actually was pretty damn popular in twenty twenty in uh, two thousand and one. He was one of the, like, I know it's hard to say one of the most over guys in DX that were all over, but watch him from 98 to like 2000 through the main DX run. Xbox, a main eventer on almost every episode of Raw, like he's in one of the main matches and usually yeah. has the best match too. But yeah, he has with Flair. It's good. Like, Not only that, like Xbox feud with, um, like, Xbox feud with Shane McMahon. He's still an awesome feud. His yep. tag team run with Kane, him sort of bringing Brilliant. Kane out of his shell, him turning on Kane, everything is just so good. Even to the point where he joins the WWE NWO uh, is still pretty cool because he f- continues that feud with Kane. So, like, X Park, it's people do crap on him on the internet all the time, but that's really unwarranted. I, if you were there at the I time, you the realize. tide has turned, though. Mm. Yeah, I think we, we, it feels like that's gone and people have come back around to him, which I think is good. Because yeah. this was an 11-minute match and he wrestled his ass off for like 13 of those 11 minutes. <laughs> like like yeah. he was just on it from the moment he stepped out to the moment he went back to stage. Like I like genuinely surprised. And as, as I keep saying, that's why I keep, I love keep coming on like onto this show and watching WCW shows with you guys. Because like, I like I only know X Pac from like you know bits and pieces of like growing up watching WWE and like you know kind of seeing bits and pieces and watching other stuff. Like he was like, just so genuinely impressed with how good he was in this match. Um, I just would like to say one thing about the commentary, and then we'll kind of get back more into this match. At the when when Flair walks out, Heenan goes, "No man will ever win more championships than Ric Flair." I got His daughter will, though. Yeah. <laughs> he said, no one will ever. He goes, I predict no man will ever be a 13-time world champion again. 
But his daughter will be a 17 time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going on what you were saying there, Owen, though, you, you're absolutely spot on there. If, if like, you know, if you put out there into the universe right now and say, hey, how's this for a, a great match? Uh, like, if you want, want a combination of two guys that could put on a barn burner, why don't you go with X Park and Ric Flair in 1997? So You'd good. be like, yeah, yeah, right, mate, sure. <laughs> Whatever you're smoking, I'll have some of that too. Speaking but, uh, of, that, I just concocted a dream match in my head. 1997 um, 6 versus Adam Cole. Give it to me. It'd be good. <laughs> but that's just a completely different podcast. Now, here's the other thing too. Like, um, Ric Flair is still doing Ric Flair things. Like, even though he's clearly the face, he's got to the level now because, you know, he's got that sort of like, oh, Ric Flair. He's the, it's, it's, because it's still a nostalgia run for him, isn't it, Simon? Like, yeah. Even in 97, he's very much like a old school WCW. Playing the hits, you know, because at this point, like 97, you go back to the 70s. People have seen Ric Flair for 20 years. So, yeah, like, <laughs> just play the hits. Um, can we just t- can we touch on how good the ending of this match is with the, oh. <laughs> with the Bronco Buster reversal? I had a feeling that we're going to go for that because I thought oh, Ric Flair likes likes a you know creative low blow, and this mm. is a spot X Pac would do for years, where a dude would get his foot up and he would mm. get the low blow on the Bronco Buster. Normally, it's not the end of a match, though. I reckon this was the first time anyone did that, though, and it well, warranted it being the ending because it was like, mm. oh my god, he reversed the Bronco Buster. Well, so. did you notice? Like, he sold that Bronco Buster like he was just shot. Yeah, like that is the be- the best part of that selling of the Bronco Buster is. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pantomime here when Ric Flair put his foot up in between the crotch. It was like a cartoon character, you know, <laughs> Xbox onto the cell of like boing, like, yeah. and, then just, and then just sort of like fell down like an absolute sack of bricks. Um, it was great. If we're talking about reversals though, and this is one of my favorite reversals in wrestling, but how good is when, when Flair, Flair always did it, but like everyone does it these days, when Flair would get whipped, like Irish whipped into the turnbuckle and he'd do the front flip over the turnbuckles, the top, yeah. Flair does it so seamlessly, it pops me so much. Um, also, Flair tapped during, the, during like the sleeper. Like he was kind of like doing that. And I'm, I'm saying that's a tap to me, but that's just me being nitpicky. Ric Flair's um, old school, though. He comes from the time where that's not near. There are no tap outs yet. So, so, so in saying that, though, when it, one, it, was, it was just before the finish and Flair was like fully pinned, which like, like Six was pinning him with his shoulders down and Flair just turned his head to the left and that was counted as a shoulder up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's a kick out as well. Real lazy. He's Ric Flair. He's Ric Flair. He's the it's dirtiest player in the game. And he and he gets the win using the ropes as well. So a really stellar match then. The momentum is very much in WCW's such a, camp. Such a good match. Do you um, guys want to hear something depressing, though? We're all, we're all saying how good the match is. This blew my mind because when we reviewed SummerSlam 97, we raved about the cage match with Triple H and Mick Foley, and we couldn't believe that it was rated pretty low in by Dave Meltzer because, you know, for some reason, that's the standard we all go by. If you want to know yeah. what this match was rated at the time? Two and a half. This was rated one and a half stars. Oh, what? sorry, sorry, one and a quarter star. It was very small. This Jeez match Louise. is so good. It's a weird thing, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, strange on there by Big Dave, but um, <laughs> hey, look, Big Daddy we'll, Dave. We'll push on, and we get to our next match, which is Kurt Hennig versus DDP. Now. Henning's not quite in the NWO here. He's 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 not quite a tweener. He's just sort of there. Um, and 
the bikers, they rev their bikes when DDP comes out. And as Tony Giovanni told me in the last match, this means that they <laughs> like him. Um, but there is a fair bit of shenanigans to start, but it's one of the best spots which it leads to is DDP swinging Kurt Hennig by his hair. Like, that is such a good move. And how good was Dusty's commentary that he was like, those Goldilocks got him spinning around. <laughs> yeah. That popped me so much. <laughs> It's such also, a good. Like, it's it's such a cool little uh, mini rivalry that I completely forgot happened. To be quite honest, yeah. And also with Kurt Hennig, did anyone ever remember his WCW theme music though? No, because when he walked out, it was some really over the top like Van Halen, Motley Crue sounding stuff. Like, and it was like yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, real like just shredding. It's such a contrast to his WWE theme, which is you know big, and, Mr. Like, Perfect, epic, yeah, Mr. F- Perfect, iconic theme. It's almost like he got to WCW and he's like, now I finally want something really, really cool and rocking, and yeah. And then next thing you know, he joins the NWO, comes out to the black and white theme, and then for the remainder of his career, has the rap is crap theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a weird, weird journey in music for Kurt Hennig. One thing I must say, though, I, it's, 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 uh, it, I guess it could be like the, like me, the, the inner mark in me coming again. I get unnecessarily mad when opponents have the same color gear. <laughs> like, come on, boys, just coordinate. Oh, you're going to wear black and blue? I'll wear my red gear tonight. It's all good. No, I'll, we'll both wear black with blue striping. It's fine. Although really to be to be fair, pretty early on, Kurt Hennig pulled down his singlet and wore it just like Andre the Giant style. He only yeah. put one strap back on. Weird yeah. look. It was weird too that he got pantsed as well. It's like DDP <laughs> is just like it's so the strange, pants but- a guy in a wrestling singlet is impressive because you got to take <laughs> the shoulder straps down first, then pants him. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Hennig rocked some, uh, some like very fuchsia style purple underpants as well, which seems like an odd sort of thing <laughs> for the man that used to be known as Mr. Perfect. Uh, a strange, another note that I've uh, put down is too Hennig works the leg, and we've seen a lot of psychology in this event. Road Wild 1997 is not good on opponents' legs, <laughs> which is a weird choice considering it's a biker crowd and not a wrestling yeah. crowd to do like, we're going to work on your leg and do psychology. It's really weird. <laughs> Or maybe we're just misjudging uh, the the, <laughs> yeah. the level of crowd from uh, in Sturgis. Um, Hennig also busts open DDP with the top turnbuckle. That was in, such good color. Yeah, yeah. He he just looked like he he just and maybe maybe had a few too many aspirins that day. <laughs> possibly and, some, and a couple of headstands, and he was boop. It was fun. Mm. Now DDP also kicks out of the perfect plex, <gasps> uh, which. What is it called at this point in time, Simon? Is it is because it, he's not Mister Perfect? Just the headplex. Yeah, just the headplex. But so have they didn't, they, didn't they as, didn't they call it the didn't they just call it the butterfly suplex? I think at one point one of them tried just saying, "Oh, there's a fisherman suplex." And yeah, like, sorry, fisherman. Yeah, yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe at this point it wasn't even called the headplex. Maybe because they <laughs> couldn't figure out what another nice word aside from perfect is. Well, that's that's what I found interesting because the fact that um. DDP kicked out of it because I was like, oh, he kicked yeah. out of the, the perfect plex. But because they mentioned like, oh, he just did a fisherman suplex. Like, okay, so are they not treating that as his finisher anymore? Is mm. is it just like a move or kind it's of- kind of like how it's kind of like how remember how like when the new generation first happened, people would do leg drops in the WWF 
and then kick out of it immediately. And then there'd always be a snide bit of country like, oh, leg drops, moves like that yeah. don't work in the WWF. And you're like, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, just to be like, yeah, that Hogan crap doesn't work anymore. One interesting <laughs> yeah. thing, though, when DDP got up after he was bleeding, did you guys notice the camera went super wide? What? It was like yep. a video game because WCW had a rule. You couldn't shoot blood up close, even on pay-per-view. So they Is had to keep why? it wide. Yeah. Okay. They wouldn't shoot blood up close. So the camera switched to just a real so, wide shot. Because you know what I, I thought, I thought, and maybe you, you're going to share the same thought here, Owen. I thought someone was just getting a really, really early cue for the Ric Flair running. <laughs> no, no, no. Literally what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> Because it just seemed like, wow, that's that's a weird shot. There's someone <laughs> like, oh wait, here comes Ric Flair. It's like, really? You, you telegraphed yeah. that that long? <laughs> but um, you, you guys were talking about like the you know the 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 fisherman suplex. How good was the spot to come from that? Like the the kick out onto the ref uh, onto the ref. Mm. So yeah. good, and I feel like the commentators didn't sell it enough. They're like, like Shivani was like, oh, he's you know he's kicked him out onto the ref. I'm like. That is like a turning point of the match. Like I, that was so such a again. Why? Why does the? Why do these barking kicks get these really cool moments in wrestling? <laughs> they Simon, don't deserve. They don't Simon deserve that flare in six match. They don't deserve that really cool kick out from from Kurt Simon pointed. Simon pointed out something uh, last at the last WCW pay per view. The, the level in which Bobby the Brain Heenan is pretending not to know about Kurt Henning is getting borderline. <laughs> 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 it's like, mate, never come seen on. the guy. Never seen the guy. Yeah. I don't know who he is. No, what, <laughs> guy's in really good shape. I don't know him, but he looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Ric Flair, Ric Flair comes in and does a ref, does a very pointless run in. I should point out too. Uh, Hennig gets the win, and this. I'm glad that the commentary team brought this up because I did too. Because. Oh, and since this was the first time you watch it, were you also wondering, like, why the hell did Ric Flair come in? I tell you what, though, Ric Flair did the most incredible, just like dead stop, like sell of that diamond cutter. Like he just went as stiff as a, as stiff as a board, and just went dunk, and was just like upright on his forehead for like an hour, and then just sold it. It was so good. Ric Flair is fantastic when it comes to those <laughs> things, but yeah, look. It was um, a win there for Hennig, and I did like that the commentary team was sort of like, why did Ric Flair do that? Because did it ever lead to anything? Oh, wait, yes, it does, because doesn't it he does. join the Horseman? Yeah, yeah, it leads to somewhere at Fall Brawl in the um, War Games match, so we'll get yeah. there. There is we'll a reason it. for all this happening, so we're getting Don't spoil it for me, man. No, I was just pretty I was, cool. I was cool. about to spoil it, and I realized, well, we'll, we'll Hang on, we'll reel that one back in. I don't know what happens there, yeah. Owen. <laughs> why did Ric Flair help? But anyway, um, we'll get to, we then have another WCW hotline plug. And this one seems, these hotline plugs seem to be very short and sharp, don't you think? I have a, I have a question. Who was Raven's first opponent on WCW? Because again, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea, to be honest. Might, oh, be, so- might be on Nitro. I can't remember. I can't remember either. Because and he, he mentioned Stevie Richards, but Stevie Richards is basically like blink and miss yeah. in WCW. He calls. Does he, he go back to ECW? He yeah, go, yeah. He kind of yeah. He does for a little bit, but then he leaves, and then he ends up in the WWE pretty quickly. I think by '98, he's '99. He's there. He's, he's just before the Job Squad kicks in because he does this, some stuff with like Dude Love in a yeah. weird era. But Mean Gene calls Stevie Richards the King of Swing. 
And I was trying mm. to figure out what he meant by that. And I don't know if it's in reference to like the Raven Stevie dynamic, because, you know, they, they always sort of tease that maybe there's like a relationship between them. But at the same time, it might be Mean Gene taking a shot at Stevie Richards going back and forth between the promotions. But either way, <laughs> Mean Gene, I think, was, yeah, dropping something there. Yeah, he was very, very much. A, it's another Conan tossed salad moment there, I think. <laughs> but um, we then get an ad for Fall Brawl, which is followed by an Eric Bischoff message to Lex Luger. Um, we'll, I, I sort of encompass that in one little package there because it's not really a, a promo by Eric Bischoff. It's just those weird little jump cuts. It's almost like someone recorded a very long promo for Eric Bischoff and then didn't put any tape in the camera and then he just couldn't be bothered doing the rest. Can I just say, Biker Bischoff is a hunk. <laughs> Eric Bischoff is a very, very handsome man. There's a reason why he was a catalog model, you know. Yeah. I, I do want to say that the full brawl ad, we see the full brawl commercial saying that War Games is coming up, you know, Steel Cage, all these men. All of the guys in the ad were power plant jabronis. It was like high say. voltage and all these guys who would never be in a War Games match. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's well. Yeah, I'm sorry if you if you bought um, Fall Brawl expecting to see high voltage versus Public <laughs> Enemy, uh, but you're going to be like card subject to change, guys. Sorry. All right, I'm not coming on the next show, guys. You've ruined it for me. <laughs> uh, we then get to our next match, which is Macho Man versus the Giant, and the best part. I love, I love Tony Schiavone going. Madness is what's written on the front of his shirt, and it's what he does to his opponents too. Which um, I thought was really weird. He he went on that tangent for a bit. He was like, madness, that's what he does his to, to his opponents. That's what that means because he drives them mad. I always thought macho madness was like Hulkamania or like, yeah, you that's know. that's what it is. Yeah, macho madness. I drive the people wild because I'm crazy too. It, that's yeah, literally anyway. what it was. Yeah, what, yeah the madness yeah, like it's- that I've, like Beatlemania or Hulkamania. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what I, you know, you know what uh, I love though was when um, like, Shivani goes, he's like the the next three matches, the biggest matches in WCW history. I feel like he says that about every single match on every pay per view I've ever watched. Yeah, now you're starting to learn. I love Tony Shivani <laughs> in the modern era, but I'm starting to remember why we all kind of got sick of him for a while because it was like this is the greatest biggest thing ever it's like man it's conan versus hugh morris calm down look i'm a culprit for that i always say oh it's the best thing i've ever seen but it's just it, that's just like a, a phrase i always say but he literally says that for every single match <laughs> it's the biggest it's the biggest thing in wcw ever mm. i feel like if like rick flair tied his shoelace <laughs> it's like his mm. mind just explodes we also we it, it's such a shame that we you weren't there to, to relive Nitro back in the day, Owen, because you'd find out too. Not only does is Tony Schiavone the king of hyperbole, but he's also the poorest uh, time manager of everyone in the WCW. <laughs> We're out of time, <laughs> just like the tape machines are rolling. We're out of time, and just off yeah. there. Clearly, someone in AEW has got a stopwatch near him, or at least gives him time calls in his earpiece. But in WCW, he never did. We're out of time, folks. We're gonna have to go. Oh no, what's going on? We'll see you. We'll see you Thursday on Thunder. All I see is running out of time. <laughs> but um, hey, look, we'll get back to the match. Um, but did you notice the giant no theme? That's one of my notes. Did, oh, he, did he? Did he always put? 
I guess I feel like the same when he was part of the NWO, so he's always walked out with music. Did he, did he have music before he joined the NWO? I don't think he had Dungeon he had... of Deem, Dungeon, He had Dungeon music. Did he? That was part of the Dungeon. Well, yeah, because because oh, they had no music either. Because last, because um, at Hogwild last, well, last year when mm. it was um, when it was Giant and Hogan, yeah, wasn't he still with? Because he still had um, still had Jimmy Hart with him. I think he never had music as a single. Not as a single, no, because because every time he he he'd come out like if he came out with the Yeti or someone, they'd have like whatever theme music the dungeon would have. And when him but and Luger I, team up, he comes out to the awesome to, Luger music. Yeah, to Luger. Is this is, is this just another WCW Mandala effect? Like like Ultimo Dragon? No, <laughs> yeah, we think Giant had music. Although no, no, to no, be no. fair, I think it was a little bit Andre the Giant inspired that's the, because that's yeah, Andre one. never had music either. Yeah, and he is built like when he first gets into WCW, he's built as Andre the Giant's son, seven foot four. Mm. Yeah, so uh, there you go there. But um, look, once again, bikes revving overpowers the first few moments of this match. Like there is that much revving, yeah. and uh, I reckon this was probably the Giant's best showing so far. Like he was always a slow and plodding sort of guy, but and I guess this is one of the good things. With Randy Savage, like he's that meticulous with his matches that he will drag a good match out of anyone. And he probably sort of sat down with Giant, like in a war room somewhere and said, mate, oh, yeah, we're going to have a good match, brother. This really wasn't too bad at all. Like it was short and sweet and Mm. simple, but it was it was good. A lot of power moves from the Giant, too. Oh, so good. Like, like. Uh, one of my notes is it's actually so impressive that when Giant was holding up Macho like above his head on the outside, Macho was above the top rope by mm. like an arm's length. Like it's just, he's just such a big human being. That was a great it's spot. So and also you kind of forget Big Show in his prime, how strong he was. Everything looked easy because he was so big. But yeah, throwing Randy Savage, who is a big guy, from the outside in, like it was nothing. Like, and and then his choke slam as well. Man, he was pretty impressive in his prime. Very much so. And it's it's such a shame that, like, um, obviously because whatever condition he had, like, he, he just became too big. Like, he was sort of the right era. Uh, he 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 hit his. Um, you could see why when he was literally he. So, oh, and I don't know if you know this, but he was the first guy to jump from WCW. To yes. WWF, I, I I think he said that um, was it in his Stone Cold session, like the Broken Skull session episode. Yeah. I think I've I've heard him tell the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can sort of see now because it sounds weird when you say, "Oh, when the when Paul White joined WWF, that was like a big turning point." You're like, "Really? Why?" But after you sort of see him in his work as the Giant, you can see why it's such a big deal when he comes into the WWF in '99. Hmm. I think that's the thing that's all, that's always kind of. Um, like thrown me, I guess is a good a good turn of phrase because you know, like always, like growing up, like Big Show was just like you know the big world, the, the big, big show, show. Yeah. like just he's just like, and especially like towards the end of his like WWE run, like like 2015, 16, 17, it was like oh, like every third episode of Raw, all right, Big Show's gonna come out and squash somebody, that's mm. that's it, and now he's kind of doing the same thing AW. But when you go back and what like like how I've been with you guys on like these WCW shows, like. I'm genuinely impressed by how good he was and like how entertaining he was and like how invested I am when he's like it's a six and a half minute match. I was glued to the TV. I'm like, this, yeah. is, this is great. This is like perfect. Um I must say though, I love how like like um when Giant ripped o- ripped open Macho's shirt and then gave him those big um 
those big elbows to the back and like yeah. threw him into the ropes and bounced back and elbowed him. And then Macho like had that like that ripped shirt wrapped around his arm for the rest of the, the rest of the match. I was very impressed by that. It's a very good match. It is. Uh... It is, um, as I said, I reckon it's probably one of the Giants' best showings in WCW. Mm. Uh, he gets the win. WCW still have the momentum here. We again move on to our next match, which is the outs. Oh, going on. I was going to say uh, uh, one of my stupid trying to be a comedian comedian spots. Um, have you noticed every single pay per view the sunroof is opening a little bit, a little bit more on the back of Macho's head? I noticed that. <laughs> that was I th- that like it was. I, I I noticed it the past two, but this one was like. Yeah, he's like he's cruising down the highway and the sun was opening a little bit too much. It's getting yeah, worse. Wa- there there was a reason can't... why a couple of years later he would just slick all of it back as tight as he could. <laughs> cover that up. I was about to I was about to say I cannot wait till you get to the midlife crisis Randy yeah. Savage of 99. Yeah. Uh, what up, much? Ooh, yeah, era. Macho man is so fantastic. Um, <laughs> seriously, that macho man is so underrated because he becomes world champion. But he always looks like he's dressed like he's about to go to like a stereo sonic or a rave. <laughs> <laughs> so bizarre. Uh, we get to our next match, which is the Outsiders versus the Steiners. Now, the Steiners are out on bikes. Uh, Ted DiBiase is their manager. He's defected from the NWO. And this just seemed like a pretty big deal as well. You were watching the Nitros at the time, Simon. Can you remember like the moment when that happened? Because I can't. I think they're all doing a big promo or a beatdown. And like DiBiase has sort of like. Um... He feels bad for the Steiners and then he has like a crisis of his faith or whatever. And mm. he doesn't think what they're doing is good. Even though in the story, remember, billionaire, sorry, trillionaire, trillionaire Ted, Ted. He was the man pulling the strings. But then I think once Bischoff became, you know, sort of the, the leader and the, the mouthpiece yeah. of the NWO, DiBiase was kind of redundant. And so he jumped with the Steiners. I remember him with the Steiners. He feels... It doesn't feel like a good fit for the Steiners in this era, though, because they're kind of like badasses who wear weird leather mm. outfits and whatever. And yeah. Ted DiBiase feels kind of lame compared to them. Yeah, it, it very much feels like this is the dad that's like, yeah. you know, this, he's dropped him off at the at the park to play with the friends. And then for some reason, he's walked up to the playground. <laughs> he won't with leave. Them. Yeah. yeah, just like, Dad, just we kind of like Steiner Lines playing leave. <laughs> I'm wearing my studded <laughs> belt, leave. Yeah. We're, we're, wearing the, the, each, we're, we're wearing each other's boots. Can you stop? Because <laughs> the multicolored boots were back, Simon. Yeah, the black and white boots. It's cool. Good look. So the, the Steiners are up against the Outsiders here. And I will. this is a hill that I'm very happy to die on here. But Hall in 1997, I still reckon, is in razor form. Well, I was just about to say that not much, not, not much beats like the like when Razor slash Scott Hall gets in the ring and does like the jumpy thing. It's mm. my favorite thing in wrestling. I love it. It was so cool. Scott Hall's the best wrestler on this show. He was so yep. good in this match. This was my <laughs> match of the night. Every Outsiders match we've watched on this podcast is really, really good. They're great tag wrestlers. And as a tag team, I feel like the Outsiders are kind of forgotten or underrated. Every match, great psychology, really entertaining. The crowd is into it more than any other match. And Scott Hall specifically is as good as anyone in this era. He's so good. Yep. Um, like I said, he's he's in razor form still, yeah. and mm. it's such a shame that um, I think it's '98 where he sort of peters out and just, unfortunately, those personal demons take over. But yeah. um, 
he is. It's. I've. I've written down here, and I'll. I'll quote the sentence. Solid wrestling here. Full stop. Even from Nash. Full stop. Hey, Nash in a tag team match. That's him at his best. He comes in. Yeah. Does all all of the good stuff. Gets to look cool. Act cool. Kevin Nash yeah. is great in this too. Hmm. Um. To to I, I've cottoned on to what to to you to you two Nims and Simon about uh your whole um Scott Steiner thing. I think we're at ninety eight point six percent near full pick up big pump a pump. We are so close. Yeah. So close. All he needs we to are do a is bottle of bleach away, hair. baby. Yeah, <laughs> He's got the goatee now. He's got the leather. You know the belt. Everything is there. We are so so close. Yeah, you can you can just smell the peroxide somewhere <laughs> somewhere on uh, Big Papa Pump there, but um, a, a pretty dodgy ending though. This that was the only thing that sort of spoilt the match for me. Yeah. Uh, Nash pulls Nick Patrick out of the ring, which then gives the Steiners the win, but they don't get the belts because Nick Patrick disqualifies them. And this is what the third or maybe fourth time that the Steiners have beaten the Outsiders for the belts, but due to a technicality, they just haven't got it. Like most famously, was sold out where they, they had the, the decision reversed completely. Yeah. yeah, although there was that one where Rick Steiner won on his own. That's right, <laughs> We've yeah. We've seen some really weird stuff in this feud. It, it's a longer feud than I remembered. It seems to come back every few months. We're like, oh, Steiner's and the outsiders. Yeah, nice, yeah. I, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the other way. I actually thought the ending was really good because I didn't expect it. So yeah. when... so. Scott Hall is getting pinned by the Steiners. Nash yes. pulls Nick Patrick out of the ring. And then Nick Patrick, it looks like he's still counting the three. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, a referee never still counts the three, even if he was pulled out. This is awesome. The Steiners yeah. hold up the belts. But no, it was like a, a double screw job. And then he's like, no, yeah. no, it was a DQ. I thought it was creative. And it yeah. got me. Oh, look, I reckon that we, you're right. It is creative, but the fact that we've seen the Steiners win and not yeah. win uh, the belts for so for continuous months is just like, oh come on, not really. But um, hey, look, um, the outsiders keep the belts, and the commentators are so indignant about that too because um, we then get an awkward bit of time filling in between the main event. Like, did that? Is it just me, or did that seem to be like a really weird sort of patch of nothing happening? I feel like mm. they thought there was going to be more stuff in the ring to talk <laughs> yeah, about did. because they kept yeah. trying to explain the ending. And then they were like, well, Nick Patrick made the call because he just came back from, you know, his suspension. And I, th- it almost felt like they were going to keep dissecting the footage, but they never did. And then it was just like awkward shots of the crowd, yeah. <laughs> just a bit of nothingness. Now, this is really a random question, but I wrote it down on my notes because I had nothing. Again, I had like an hour to think because there was nothing happening in the ring. <laughs> um, how close are we to Goldberg? Still a fair while. Really? Yeah, and, and in, especially in terms of Goldberg regularly on TV, he shows up and then he goes away and then he comes back again. It's kind of weird. 98 is Goldberg sort of time. Like, like, a, there, like, a, like-, like, like a year on or like close? No, 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 no. Like, so basically for the second half of, um, because right now we're in what, August 97? Yeah. Yeah. So August 97, remember, we're still not to the point where Sting sort of challenges Hogan oh, yeah. for Starcade. I'm, I'm, I'm still yet to see Sting wrestle at a WCW ring. So, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I mean, 
Crosting. So Goldberg yeah. debuts September 22, 1997. But he's not regularly on the shows or the pay-per-views for a few months later. So, yeah, 98 is when things really get going. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I popped in my head, but it did. <laughs> but to the point where he becomes... So just to give you an idea of how quick his rise to the top is. So September 97, he, he debuts. By mid-98, he's main eventing pay-per-views. Mm. And remember, this is a guy that literally was just an ex-Atlanta Falcon, went to the power plant, and that's about it. Do we need more of that? I've been thinking about this. Is that something that should come back where a guy gets, you know, catches fire and you just run with it? What is the use of a guy being over and you put him in developmental for five years so then when they show up on the main roster, you've seen their best. The novelty is gone. I think they're going to do that with the, with the relative of somebody we just watched wrestle. I think they hundred percent should strike. They have to do it with. with they have to do it with Rex, with Rex Steiner. <laughs> they have to do it with Rex Steiner. Like he's just that good. But again, yeah. it's it, he, he. He's like a Goldberg clone, but also a clone of his dad and uncle. I don't know. <laughs> but, but imagine <laughs> yeah. we see him in NXT for four years. The the it it wears off. We've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Well. Well, just to give you, like, to support your argument there, look at Kevin Owens. Like, literally, he was hot in NXT for, what, like, two months, and then next thing you know, it's like, right, shoot him to the top. They did the right thing, whereas other guys, Finn Balor, Nakamura, Adam Cole, you see it. Gagana. And and even, like, not just the WWE thing, even what um, New Japan did with Okada, the second he was fully formed, there was no building. It was like, this dude's the main event right now, mm. forever. Like, just go. Yeah, with it. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think it was only a couple of months after he came back from his excursion, he won the um, the the Intercommon, Intercontinental Championship. Because he was the fully formed Rainmaker. And they were like, this mm. is the guy. That's it. For those playing at home, uh, a former TNA superstar. <laughs> uh, okay. that's, that's who We've, made him a superstar. And, <laughs> and also, for those who are playing at home, we just fast forward. 18 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but let's get let's get back to 1997 because we got the main event here. It's Hollywood Hogan oh. versus Lex Luger. Uh, Michael Buffer with a really stupid hat on. <laughs> what was he wearing? He was wearing the white tux, and you know they were like, "Hey, Buffer, we always we always dress in character. Can you wear a biker outfit?" And he was like, "You're gonna have to pay me two more million dollars." And they were like, "Can you at least put on this leather beret?" It looked it's like he was probably- about to do. It looked like he was about to do clicks and snaps and like be part of the sharks and jets. But that's the I, whole I, point. I, but I'm sure like, he charged them for that hat. You know he did. You know he was like, like to, to wear think, a hat, it's an extra fifty grand. I do like <laughs> to think though, Simon, that he was probably there. Like you know, the WCW production there. They've got like a leather vest and that, that yeah. hat and like a fake tattoo. It's like, hey, Mister Buffy, your wardrobe's here, and he's like, mm, I don't know about that. And they're like, well. You, what about if you can have the tattoo and the hat? He's like, no, 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 no. Maybe the hat. He's but like, I'll wear the, the hat right and, 50 grand. <laughs> and 50 grand. And also- 50 grand's in the hat? It, he takes it off. Yeah, it's like got the catch in it. What's great about Buffer too, continuing him not caring or knowing anything that he's talking about, he still calls it hog wild because he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't give two He also crats. once again refers to Lex Luger's Rack of Doom. Rack of Doom. 
which is never it's never been called the rack of doom only by michael buffer but uh, yeah the, Hulk the Hogan. master the master of the rack of no, the, the the torture rack of doom he got yeah. the torture rack right but he's the master <laughs> of it this time and he still added of doom they're like yeah torture rack of doom and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. they've been, it's like they've been friends when, when Phoebe's um, teaching Joey French. I, I was going to say, it's like, you know, the the, the um, radioactive man up and at them. <laughs> yeah. Adam, up and at them. <laughs> it's like torture rack. Uh-huh. Torture of rack. Off to. Of no, no, no. <laughs> also, I love the way he says Lex Luger with like, uh, with like 11 W's. <laughs> Luger. <laughs> Now, um, this match follows the Hulk Hogan school of WCW main events, which is a lot of showboating and a lot of walking around and pointing at the crowd and pointing at his opponent. One thing that I did find interesting was you got a Hogan sucks chant there. Mm. Did you notice that? Mm. Because well, so he was I- clearly a fan favorite last year. Oh, he I was thought Hogan, yeah, and Hogan seemed to get a good pop on his entrance. I thought he was going to be the face in this, but nah, the yeah. crowd hated him. A lot of Hogan well, sucks chants. Speaking of hating, um, did you hear the line of commentary that that um, Heenan said at the start of the match when he goes, "If you don't like this, you don't like your parents." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So weird. I just want to touch on something before we get into the match. During the entrance, Lex Luger is the world champion because he won the title on the the Monday prior on Nitro. One of the biggest pops, awesome moment. Tony Schiavone overstates it. He says Lex Luger, the man who had more people watching him on Nitro than any other champion in the history of our sport. So I did the maths. That episode (laughs) of Nitro did a 4.4, which killed Raw that week. 4.4 was high for the era. So in its time, that was one of the highest ratings. But a 4.4 in 97 puts it at about 4 million people watching, give or take. And Tony Schiavone said that was the most people watching than any other champion in the history of our sport. Mm-hmm. The highest rated wrestling match on American TV was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, 1988 on the main event. It scored a 15.2 rating, which was 33 million people watching. So no, Lex Luger, you weren't the most watched champion in the history of our sport. Not Can even I just play. say... Can I just, um, b- before we jump into it, can I just say something that Luger did beat Hogan in? And this goes to something that Simon and I have done for the past four years of podcasting. <laughs> we have the Hulk Hogan tan scale. Luger out-tanned Hogan. I think Luger, Luger yeah. was a leather handbag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luger, Luger very much was sitting in a Bay Marie for the entire duration of the pay-per-view. Up he, until was in, this he was in catering. <laughs> He was yeah. the last dim sim at the end of the night, just sitting there. <laughs> he was well tanned. He was absolutely tanned there. And look, there is he got something else that he did. Awful selling. It's the most <laughs> pantomime selling you will ever see when they brawl. Like it's to the point where I half expected 1964 Batman paths <laughs> and zoinks coming out every time. <laughs> but it makes sense though, because Hogan's offense, even when he's doing like technical wrestling is super cartoony these guys are like two sides of the same coin it was kind of fun Mm. watching them wrestle and at one point they traded wrestling holds which you wouldn't expect from luger and hogan hogan does like a drop toe hold and hammer locks and then luger does two arm drags and you're like (laughs) 
Oh, look, A for effort. Good on you guys. You're trying. Yeah, and that that's amongst Bear ha- Bear Hug City. <laughs> like absolutely. Oh, this part it's like it it's you know exactly what you're gonna get at a Hulk Hogan main event in WCW. So I'm not gonna be too um too annoyed at that one, but it is very much uh, a formulaic match. There is a, a the missed leg drop though, which which always gets a massive pop. Anytime that leg drop misses, it's like it's like someone's just kicked out of a stunner. Mm. It was huge, yeah. big moment. Um, also, Hulk Hogan doing the classic Hulk Hogan thing of coming up with a really cheesy name to taunt his opponent with. He calls him Lex Loser a bunch of times, which is so funny. <laughs> now, did oh, that was my next note. Did but did you hear what Shivani said after that? He sounded like like a five year old in primary school. Yep. He's like, he's not Lex Luger. He's Lex Champion. Address him properly, please. Yep, yeah. I know that too, and I'm glad you're so, seeing it because I love Tony so Schiavone stupid. right now. But in '97, sometimes he was the worst. It was so dumb. <laughs> so we get we get our generic um, NWO running as well, and then Sting, the man Sting. Air quotes on that Sting as well, who hits Sting Lex Luger. Yes, I thought it was. Um, was that Scott Hall just as Sting, Ooh, or was that? I was thinking it was Hall too. I didn't think maybe no, it was Bischoff. It was because he had the the bobbed. He had like the bobbed cut hair. Ooh, he think, ex- it was. It was too. Sh- he was too short to be to be Hall. Hmm. But he almost. But he's almost up to the second rope, and he had know. like some stubble. Ooh. <laughs> That's Ooh. anyway. Look. We can we can okay, analyze well, this, we can analyze the Sabruta footage as much as we want to, <laughs> but, but, that, but I think it's clear to everyone watching, except the three man commentary booth, this is not yeah. Sting. You know what? You know what I loved though was Hogan's sell of Luger's flex, mm. like when like when Luger does the big flex, like the the no sell flex, and like Hogan's like oh, oh, no, like he's just been backed in the corner by a pack of wolves. He's like. Oh. And runs which away. is literally what happens. Which, like, <laughs> for some reason, that flex, that and the chicken dance is like. <laughs> Think about it though, because Hogan for for decades though he was scaring heels away when he would flex. He knows the power of a good flex, so he saw <laughs> Lucas flex and he was like, "He means business. Better back off." <laughs> but um, I've I've written this note down. So obviously, Sting hits Luger in the back. Uh, Hogan gets the win, regains the WCW title, brings it back to the NWO. But I've just put down here, as a guy with the most trustworthy record in WCW for years, everyone seems pretty, pretty quick to assume that Sting is a bad guy here. (laughs) Well, to be fair, Hulk Hogan became a bad guy. Like, they don't know who to trust anymore. I guess it's a little bit of that. They seem to trust everyone else under the sun (laughs) except Sting, the one guy that's really trusted (laughs) You know what I loved? Like, so I got to the end of the match and everything, and like, I was like checking, and there was still like six minutes left on the telecast. Yeah. And then they do like a full W, uh, sorry, they do like a full like ESPN, like post game. Mm. It's like, oh, I can't believe it happened. And they run replays of Sting hitting him with the bat again. And it's like a full like post basketball game, like panel, like panel review of what happened and Heenan's heads in his hands yep. and like it's just so good they As don't I'm know really how it, to time yeah. a show we've seen them either end on like one second left or ten minutes like the last show. show the last show like Shivani was like alright we're out and like the credits rolled and they were out in fact we've even seen them 
Tony Schiavone with the voiceover having to cut off Rowdy Roddy Piper, who's still mid-promo. Yes. Yeah. It's so no crazy. And, and very famously, too, uh, Halloween Havoc 98, where the pay-per-view ended. The main event ends because they've run out of time and there's no overrun, so the match just stops. DDP versus Goldberg gets cut off. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they had to show it in full on Nitro the next night because people didn't watch it. Yeah, and refund and everyone. refund the full pay per view. Classic so- WCW. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels are falling off. Then, um, you know what I really loved in this whole like post match thing was that Dennis Rodman spray painted Conan's neck. <laughs> I, I've, I've got it written down here. Dennis Rodman seems to misjudge how much one he can spray <laughs> yeah. and the surface area he can spray on. Because in the O, he just cops a cone and right on the <laughs> yeah. side of the neck. Because yeah. first off, first off, Rodman he he puts the N and it goes halfway across the entire plate, <laughs> and it's just and it's almost like everyone that's holding the belt, Conan included, is like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he just did the full O on Conan's face. Yeah. Just, well, I'll just do it here. At this point well, in time, also, too, like- why was Rodman there? So you've got Dennis Rodman, one of the most famous people in the world in 97. You don't put him on the show. You put him the last one minute spray painting the belt. Dennis Rodman, choice. who is also in the current NW, uh, N- NBA championship team. Yeah. yeah. Didn't use <laughs> of him one on of the, the greatest, one of the greatest NBA teams of the not just modern era, full stop. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. But yeah, like like you said, this is a, a very it's a customary post-match WCW. It uh, fills time on the with the commentators are absolutely crestfallen. Road Wild is in the books. Once again, uh, the NWO stand tall. Uh now you boys both uh at the start sort of said, like, you know you weren't really feeling the show, but when we go through the matches, there's not any real stinkers here. I'd say Conan and Ray was a stinker. (laughs) To be quite honest, I I, I literally, as I've got it flicked up my notes, the first thing that comes up is Conan and Ray. And I'm like, actually, I was actually on review. And cause this has been a lot of fun talking back. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm a bit of a fancy. I actually really enjoyed like most of the show. I think that, I think, I think a lot of the fluff in between kind of ruined it for me because it ruined mm. the flow of the show. Because obviously, like obviously, it's a location show; it's in a big event, so they're really trying to pump that up. But it just kind of like it, it really does like ruin the flow of the show and like mm. how well it's like it's it's running through. Because the matches kind of like the, the matches were very contrasty and really glued the show together. But when you break it up with little fluff pieces about a town that has like 9,000 people. It's like, whatever, like, okay. But like looking back on it, it's actually not a bad little show. So I'll I'll highlight this point here. This is not a bash of the beach. It's not a show that you will go out and tell all your friends, hey, go watch it, go watch this. But it's not a bad show. If this pops up, you're not going to be going, oh, God, we, it, it's, this well, is by no means a December to dismember. I think maybe, to me, maybe why it didn't feel that great watching it. Like, there were some highlights, but after some, you know, okay shows and, like, some some high spots and some low spots in, in the early part of 90, or, like, that, like, mid-months, like, May, June, the past three shows we've watched have been really good. Mm-hmm. I think that's what yeah, it was, like... When you go Canadian Stampede, 
Bash at the Beach 97 and then SummerSlam 97, this felt like, yeah, a bit of a drop-off in quality yeah. compared to those shows. You've very much gone from Royal Rumble, No Way Out, <laughs> WrestleMania to fully loaded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like what is this? Yeah, it, like it, it's not, not bad by any means, but it's just like you've got so high that you just there's just that drop that's just going to happen. But look... Like I, like I sort of said, and I don't know about you, Simon, but like, and and maybe this is for you to actually, no, it probably wouldn't be for you, Owen, because these are the first times that you watched it. But do you find, Simon, that a lot of the road wilds blend together? Absolutely. Because to be honest, when the Steiners came out for their match against Hall and Nash, I was like, wasn't this the match we watched last year? And then I was like, yeah. no, that was Steiners and Harlem Heat. And then when yeah. Harlem Heat walked out at the start, I was like, they wrestling the Steiners like yeah, it all felt the same. It all feels the same because nothing changes. It's still the same. Like all the players are still exactly the same, but you're just kind of like, is this Road Wild '96, '90? <laughs> like it, 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 all the Road Wilds sort of mashed together. But um, look, all in all, a relatively decent pay per view there. But um, who? Let's go for our MVP here, guys. Uh, we'll start off with you, Owen, since it's the freshest in your mind. Um, I think it's a surprise. De- definitely six. Even in that run-in during the main, like he was selling everything and was incredible. Um, yeah, I think six is definitely my. I'm not going to be offensive like last like last <laughs> month when I was like pretty like four people. Six is 100 percent my uh, my three votes for this one. What about you, Simon? Well, I'm going to not go with six. I'll go with one of the other members of the Click and the Wolfpack. I'm going to go with Scott Hall. His performance in that tag match was just so good. Like, yeah, one of the, the best in the world at the time. This could be one of the first times where we've got three separate um, MVPs because I'm going to go with DDP because we're still seeing his rise. Like, remember, he is very much like go back to uh, Roadwild 19, um, Hogwild in 96. He's a n- complete non-factor here. We've watched DDP grow so much into like a genuine bona fide main event. He is the DDP that we know and love right now. And even though he's in a very minor role here, his match is still one that stands out a lot. Like you could very arguably rip that match out and put it on a best of um, DDP DVD. Bang. (laughs) (laughs) It just felt like I said too many acronyms there. But yeah, all in all, a relatively good show. And I'll tell you what, we you saw the ad, Owen. Fall Brawl is next. You're happy to join us for uh, War Games. I'm happy to join you guys for the rest of the WCW shows. I'm having <laughs> way too much fun. Um, but yes, I look, us three, us three in a cage will be an interesting match, surely. <laughs> <laughs> This will be pretty good to see. Uh, so Fall Brawl is the next WCW paper. But for Simon and I, we've got Ground Zero, the first of the in-your-house pay-per-views that extend out to three hours. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment, Simon. It is, which means the WWE has to step up their quality. But they're finally in the upswing. We are in that period of 97 where the WWE is putting it all together. And Ground Zero... The first ever match between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. This is the first time these guys wrestle. The chemistry's there from the start. This match, I know it ends in kind of a BS finish, but from what I remember, it's very, very good. But saying it's very, very good is very, very obvious. It's Shawn Michaels versus <laughs> The Undertaker. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, hey, look, this has been another fun edition of Reliving the War. I will be back for Ground Zero very, very shortly. But in the meantime, make sure you jump onto the Grey Wolf Network and check out some of their other podcast offerings. They got a really, really good uh, nostalgic one with Ned and Fitz called We're Old Now, which basically does what it says in the tin. That's the good thing about the Grey Wolf podcast because you know what you're getting into. Uh, there's also, if you're a basketball fan, NBA slash NBL, jump into the Talking Hoops podcast where it like I said, talks hoops. And last but not least, if you're an NFL fan and you enjoy fantasy football, join Madman Matty Grace and John Fitzgerald for the Fantasy Football Finance. You can find all of those pay-per-views plus a brand new edition of Maximum Impact, our TNA podcast at facebook.com forward slash ENT or ENT on all of the socials. If you want to check out some of Owen's fine work, you can do so on the gram at digital underscore beard. You can check out some of his work too on Twitter, digital underscore underscore beard. Uh, Simon, you've got a social media blackout at the moment. So what's the best way we can get in touch with you? Telegram or smoke signals? Don't say Telegram. Not the most oh, yeah. sense of Telegram. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> you will not find me there. Look, if you want to get in touch, send me a letter. Follow his cat. Follow his cat on Instagram. He's got the same name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely not on that Telegram. <laughs> but, but that seems like a good way to end it. This has been another edition of Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time for Grad Zero. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.